Thank you, choir. It's good to see you this morning. I hope you've had a great weekend so far. And I um, don't usually say much about football from the pulpit, even when my team loses and you celebrate, but uh, especially then. <clears throat> but I know all of our Gamecocks must be really happy this morning, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Just give you all that for a moment because you never get that so much, right? <laughs> All right. Uh, two of my kids went through there, so I have quite a bit of investment in Columbia. So, <clears throat> Father, bless now your word. Help our hearts to be encouraged through the scripture. And Lord, I pray that you would help this message to help those who may be wounded and hurting in the area we're going to talk about. Help us to find strength, Lord, to deal with this issue as well when it comes toward us. And we pray that, God, above all, that out of uh, this series uh, that we have learned uh, the importance of our identity being found above all in Jesus and in the gospel. And, Lord, we ask you just to, Lord, impress those things upon our heart by your Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. During World War II, as the Germans persecuted and sought to destroy the Jewish race in all of Europe. They began pretty early on, kind of became a universal law, I think in 1941, with the practice of humiliation by making Jews wear on their clothing a yellow star of David. And so it marked them both as Jews with the star of David. It marked them racially as well with the color. It was racial humiliation. It subjected them to shame and derision and violence. And later in the concentration camp system, Jews were marked with a permanent number tattooed on their skin like animals that are branded. It was another tactic of humiliation, not just record-keeping. It was there to destroy their sense of dignity and their sense of worth. It was an attack on their humanity. Today, we conclude our series overcoming the wounds of life. And I wish to bring this to a close by sharing a message entitled this morning, The Wound of Humiliation. And so if you have your Bibles, please open them to the Gospel of John chapter 8 and the book of Acts chapter 8. In John chapter 8, we come to the story of the woman caught in adultery. Certainly an authentic story that... Um, Sometimes it may be found in the Gospel of Luke, but I think universally today, uh, your Bible may note the most ancient Greek manuscripts do not include this part of the text, but pretty much universally, I think among evangelical scholars, we believe this is an authentic encounter of uh, Jesus in the courts around uh, Jerusalem, around the temple. And so the Bible says in John 8, beginning in verse 1, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who'd been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. 
They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Then in the book of Acts, chapter 8, where we come to the, um, the death of, of Stephen. And then next, where we find Philip going down the Gaza road to the Ethiopian eunuch. And that's where we're going to focus. I'm not going to read the whole passage. Uh, we'll stop at verse 35. But let's go to Acts 8, beginning in verse 26. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and met the treasure of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Kandak, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning, seated in his carriage. He was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk along beside the carriage. And Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, How can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of Scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Humiliation, some argue, is, uh, is one of the strongest of emotions. Some say that it is the strongest emotion based on human research of the brain. Humiliation is considered more negative than anger and more intense than happiness. The word humiliation comes from a Latin root meaning earth or dirt. So it is uh, related to the idea that our, our honor or our dignity come under duress. We are humiliated by someone or something. It can be correlated to the idea of embarrassment, but it is much more severe than embarrassment. When we're embarrassed, it is something that arises from within us in light of a situation. And other people around us may not know that we're feeling embarrassed. Humiliation is something that is heaped upon us and affects our status, our standing. It comes at us from the outside and it gives us deep feelings. But it attacks our standing and our ability to recover ground that has been lost among the community, the people around us. And so someone illustrated the difference by talking about a little boy coming into class and he was supposed to have done homework, all the class supposed to have done some homework, but he failed to do his homework. And so the teacher marks the papers early in the class and he gets a really bad grade. That embarrassed him. He felt embarrassed. He was more embarrassed when the teacher decided to post everybody's grade and to reveal what everybody made. He was embarrassed by that. 
But when the teacher made him sit facing a corner and feeling the laughter of his classmates, that's humiliation. Humiliation can come then to us in many different ways, different flavors of humiliation. Let me just give you a few of these today, and maybe you'll recognize where you've been humiliated in your life or be reminded of it. Sometimes humiliation comes through our own bad choices, which allows people to heap abuse upon us. And in the past, humiliation was used in our penal system as part of the way of, uh, of shaming someone to change their behavior. And so it uh, was done to, to help them change their ways and to turn to do the right thing or to, at least to show them how the community felt about what they were doing. And so they used humiliation in that. One way they did that was by using a pillory. And people would be pilloried. If you look at the picture that's next there, this is from, uh, you know, uh, um, one of the vacation spots people go to uh, up in Virginia. Maybe you've seen this one there. Um, but uh, this is a pillory. And if you go to Bardstown, Kentucky, there used to be one there outside of the old jail where, right, you put in this with your hands and your feet and you're made to stand there as people walk by in the community and the pillory and they might pillory you with words and it was a way of humiliating people. This is at Williamsburg, Virginia where this one is found and that's why they're smiling because this is a vacation spot. You don't normally smile when you're in the pillory. People can also be pilloried today by the press in hostile media like media trying to take down a politician or somebody by public humiliation, revealing something about them to damage their name. These men who dragged this woman before Jesus on this particular day, they were seeking to trap Jesus, but they were also seeking to humili humiliate her publicly. question always is, where was the man? Was he faster than she was? Did he get away? Or did they let him go? Because these were all guys who dragged her probably naked and threw her before the crowd here. And so that was humiliating. At other times, humiliation comes at us because we're doing the right thing. Sometimes it's when we do the wrong thing and people are exposing that. But sometimes it's when we do the right thing. And in that, we can also be humiliated. Because when we're doing the right thing, that sometimes exposes deficiencies or sin around us. And people lash out at us and seek to humiliate us. And so humiliation can arise from people shunning us cutting us off from friend groups, publicly shaming us, seeking to shame us by, by words or nicknames. Uh, we are called Christians, are we not? And the Bible says in Acts eleven twenty six, it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. And most believe that early on, likely this was a nickname of derision for Christians, to call them little Christ. We see this type of humiliation that comes to us from the outside in, in the book of 1 Peter in chapter 4 and verses 3 and 4, where Peter notes humiliation can come at us in this way. He says, you've had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. And verse 4 says, of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. And he says, so they slander you. 
And so sometimes that's how humiliation can happen, right? You're doing the right thing. And people around you don't like that. People that you used to have fellowship with and they heap abuse upon you. As some translations say, I'm using the New Living Translation uh, today. Again, it reads a little differently and feels a little differently than the NIV that I usually uh, preach out out of. Jesus was humiliated in the fact that he humbled himself, right? His life was a life of humiliation. He left heaven, took on flesh. That was humiliating in a sense, just to take on flesh, to become the bearer of our sins. He was hung naked upon the cross. He was insulted by the people. As a matter of fact, if you think about the Roman cross, we often see Jesus high and lifted up on the cross as though he was up high in the air. But most likely, the Roman crosses were not placed up high in the air. That's why they could put that on a stick and get it to him to drink the vinegar from the sponge. He was low to the ground where people could come by and mock him and heap derision upon him and do things to him as sometimes they might do to someone hanging on a cross. And so he felt that humiliation. And so that's why I wanted to read out of the book of Acts today. We did deal with Stephen last week. Today, moving into Philip and the eunuch, and he's reading out of Isaiah. And Isaiah talks about in his humiliation, he was taken away. Jesus was humiliated. He went from being a respected teacher called rabbi to being abandoned by his followers and a person that the whole community wanted to drag away and kill. Wasn't it humiliating for the righteous Jesus who had never sinned, who had taught them, done miracles among all the people, loved them so well in that three-and-a-half-year journey on this planet for the whole Jewish community to say, we want Barabbas to live, right? Not you. That was humiliating, wasn't it? He suffered humiliation in that way. And so, as we think about this, those are some ways humiliation can come. It can come when we're doing the wrong thing. It can come when we're doing the right thing. And humiliation can also come at us just due to the fact that some people try to abase us or diminish us to make themselves feel superior or to cover up their own insecurities. We see this sometimes arising from racism where people try to shame you with racial epithets. Or sometimes um, Thanksgiving's coming this week. You may meet some of those uh, people who seek to humiliate you and trying to diminish you to make themselves feel better. You may meet some of those people around the turkey this week. May come in the forms of aunts or uncles or cousins or siblings. When you gather for Thanksgiving, they use things from your past that they bring up to laugh about or some incident from your past to try and humiliate you, to have fun at your expense. Sometimes that's okay, but sometimes they know it wounds you, and they deliberately do it to wound you. I'm sure that's never happened to anyone in this room. And then some people try to humiliate us because, uh, because they are very angry with us, and they try to humiliate us deeply, perhaps when a marriage is stressed and damaged, where we have one partner trying to humiliate the other. We all know of those social situations in life. You ever been to a party and there are couples there and one person begins to uh, poke at their spouse, kind of mock their spouse, use sometimes terms of derision about their spouse and humiliate them and um, 
you, you've been in those situations, I know I have, and that's where it's just cringeworthy, right? Uh, where sometimes you wanted to, uh, in Christian love, punch somebody in the mouth for what they were doing to their spouse, right? Crucify the spouse. That's humiliation as well. So those are just a smattering of ways humiliation can enter into our lives. And probably going through that litany of examples, some of your minds were taken immediately to times of humiliation that you faced or that you continue to face because it is a strong emotion. It's one of those types of things that uh, when we've experienced it deeply, it kind of uh, carries with us through life, right? I mean, aren't there... um, I guess, important things in life sometimes where you've been where you can even like smell the, the aroma that was there. It comes to your mind when you're going through a situation, positive or negative, or right? You're reminded of a song. You're, your mind is immediately taken back to that moment where there's strong emotion. Maybe like when uh, your, your spouse, your husband, right, to propose to you, and immediately all of that just comes right back, right? And uh, you see it and you feel it. Well, humiliation is a deep, deep emotional type of thing. And maybe even just talking through this with you this morning, it has brought something to your mind and to your heart, and you have relived it. So how do we handle humiliation? As with the other wounds we've discussed, humiliation is something we may all face at times in life from various directions. But let me just for time's sake this morning just enumerate some responses that we can take to overcome the wounds of humiliation or responses to shield ourselves from, from giving in to humiliation in our lives. If you say the word humiliation a bunch of times, it's hard to say. Uh, I'm just wondering, this is a sidebar here. Or if you say, you know, the word three times in a row. Humiliation is a word, as I'm saying it publicly today, I wrote all this, but as I'm saying this word humiliation, it's like humiliating because it just is a hard word for me to get out. It just, right? <laughs> It's a tongue twister. But how do we deal with this? Well, if humiliation comes to us from some mistake in our life that was not necessarily sinful, or if it comes from some sinful failure in our lives, we must rest in the grace of God, we must learn from it, and we must move forward. And so Jesus told the woman caught in adultery, He said, I don't condemn you because he had come to say, not that what she had been doing was right, it was wrong, it was sinful. We just see a part of the encounter here, basically. But his last words to her were what? Go and what? Sin no more. The word go, I think, is important there. She has messed up. She's been humiliated, but Christ comes, and in that act, he's forgiving her, and he says, go. Go and sin no more. You know, that had to be Peter's response after he denied the Lord, and he was humiliated by his betrayal. Yet when Christ came and restored him, he gained respect among the people of God to lead. But he had to rest in Christ's restoration in his life. And for us to rest in the grace of God, we must, first of all, be followers of Jesus. We must have a relationship with Him. We must have experienced the power of the gospel in our lives. You must be a Christian if you're going to be able to rest in the grace of God. And that is the good news of the gospel. If you don't yet know Jesus, and we were singing this morning about that, about trusting in Jesus. If you've not made the decision yet to become a follower of Jesus... 
The Bible puts it this way as you think about this idea of humiliation in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 8. Isaiah chapter 1 begins by saying, Though our sins be as scarlet, though our sins be as scarlet, Though our sins be as red, as embarrassing, though our sins be like a stain upon us, as you think about the uh, image that's being drawn here. Always before our eyes, we feel shame over it, humiliation. We feel like we can never overcome how it has marked us. We see the scarlet letter emblazoned on our hearts as much as it was on Hester Prynne's clothing in that novel we all read in school. The scarlet letter. Though your sins be as scarlet, God says that in Christ He will make us as white as snow. You can be forgiven in Jesus, but you're also cleansed in Jesus. And I love in the NLT as we read that text, it talks about that idea about our sin, though they are like scarlet. It says in Isaiah 1.18, Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. And maybe today your humiliation comes from something you've done, some sin, and you've not met Christ. He offers to save you and to cleanse you. Don't wait don't wait if he's stirring your heart right now where you're sitting where you're listening ask christ to save you and to make you white as snow to remove the sin and the humiliation and the guilt from your past then rest in christ and go and once you're in christ as i've been in jesus for many many years and many of you have as well and i want to be perfect I want to be morally spotless and sinless in my actions, in my thoughts, in my emotions. But I fail. We all do. And I ain't what I used to be, but not yet what I'm going to be. I'm in progress. And I want to live a pure life. But when we sin, which we do regularly, probably in our minds, our thoughts, our actions, right? We can rest in the grace of God. We turn and go and sin no more. We overcome those things in life, but we rest in the grace of Christ that we don't remain humiliated, and we know we are in Him. And He says that He will never hold our sins against us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But there's the upward call to keep overcoming those things in life and progressively becoming like Jesus. If your humiliation comes because you're being faithful to the Lord, and I hope that as a follower of Jesus, that is our desire, is to be faithful to the Lord. If you're doing the right thing and people are humiliating you in some way, recall that the Lord Jesus himself faced humiliation. And he was absolutely sinless. Again, in fact, his entire incarnation was a form of humiliation, a humbling of himself for us. And perhaps you're facing that type of humiliation from your peers because you don't agree to sin with them, because you stand faithfully for Christ, say in middle school or in high school 
or in college, even if you're at a Christian university. Remember that is part of the cost, perhaps, of following him, humiliation. And I remember commuting to college for four years. I ran track, worked in a grocery store, and then I, I commuted to Jacksonville, Alabama every day, about 30 miles from my home. And I remember my first year of college, I was not following Christ. And I was in places I should not have been and situations I should not have been in. God stirred my heart, brought me to repentance, turned me back in the direction where I needed to be going. And I remember when I stopped going to the places my friends were going to, stopped doing the things that my friends were doing, I, I'll never forget. And these were people I grew up with. They would ride up beside me on, on the highway going to Jacksonville, the four-lane highway, and they'd ride up beside my car, and they would mock me, laugh at me, and seek to humiliate me. Still loved them, but I was beginning to understand there's a cost if you're going to live for Jesus. The world's not going to understand you not always going to embrace you, right? And we have the great model for that in the Lord Jesus himself. It's not always easy, but we must remember that he is always with us. He understands what we're feeling. He was humiliated, and he will give you strength to overcome the darts being thrown at you. Remember also, we have a spiritual enemy as well who's always in the attack mode. He's called the accuser of the brothers. He's always seeking to harm us, always seeking to smear us with things that have been in our past, always seeking to humiliate us and to diminish us and to weaken us, to keep us from moving on. But you and I must put on the armor of God and hold up, as Chase was reading from Ephesians 6 this morning, the shield of faith. I want you to turn back to that passage in Ephesians that he read. What a great passage. This is a great passage for you to spend some time studying and looking at in your life. And in Ephesians 6, it's talking about putting on the armor of God. And verse 12 reminds us we have a spiritual enemy, not just human beings that... Uh, that are fleshly human beings that may seek to attack us, but we have a great enemy in the devil and the fallen angels. He says, for we are not fighting, verse 12, against flesh and blood enemies, not flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. He tells us to begin to put on that armor of God to protect us, using the armor, the pictures of a Roman soldier's armor to protect ourselves. And he comes down in chapter 6, in verse 16. He says, in addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery darts of the devil. And so that as we think about um, suffering humiliation, when we're faithful to the Lord and those darts come at us from the enemy, hold up the shield of faith, have on the armor of God. And then growing out of that, as we've been talking all through this series, because so much of this, these wounds come from human interaction. And so growing out of that, we have emphasized over and over and over again that we must walk in forgiveness. As Christ has forgiven us, we must forgive. Now, I forgave my friends. 
is to have fellowship with some of those people from years ago. I've seen some of them turn and follow Jesus themselves through the years. And so the idea is that um, we, we must forgive in that way. Remember, as we said, forgiveness is a way that releases that power that this thing had in our lives or someone had over our lives and count it a blessing that you're worthy to suffer for his name's sake. Don't allow it to diminish you in your heart. Know that you belong to Jesus and thank God for the good he's going to work out of this in your life and how he's going to use it to advance his cause. We were singing about that as well, that God's going to work good and he's always been faithful. And so when we suffer humiliation for doing the right things, those are some steps I think we need to take. You remember the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts seeking to, seeking to share the gospel in the Roman Empire. He suffered humiliation. If you go to Acts chapter 17, when he goes to Athens, the intellectual center of still the Roman Empire. And in Acts chapter 17, in verse 18, he, he goes to Athens. He sees a city full of idols. He first goes to the synagogue to try to reach the other Jews. He's a Jew. And the God-fearing Gentiles, the people are inquiring about the Jewish God. He went there, and then he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. And verse 18 says he also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. So this is public debate, right? He's out in the square. And when he told them about Jesus and his resurrection... They said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? That's an insult. They're seeking to humiliate Paul, to diminish him as an intellectual lightweight. Literally, they're saying, what is this seed picker giving to us? Like a bird picking up seeds, just individual seeds, incoherent thought. And so they seek to humiliate Paul. Paul isn't diminished by it. He keeps going and carrying out his mission, knowing who he is in Christ. And if you go to chapter uh, 17 in verses 32 through 34, the conversation gets taken up to Mars Hill. Before the council, this is the place where they came to debate ideas, and he's sharing Christ up there with them. And he talks about the resurrection. And down in verse 32, it says, When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. But others said, We want to hear more about this later. And that ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So when you suffer humiliation from the outside because you're being faithful to the Lord, just remember that comes with the territory. Count it as the cost. Forgive people who do that to you. Keep loving them in every way that you can. Keep sharing the gospel. Thank God that you're counted worthy, that you're living faithfully enough for Jesus that is causing some opposition, right? And then trust that God is going to continue to work through your faithfulness and through your testimony in other people's lives. If humiliation comes from someone who's just seeking to put you down because of some physical feature you have, so maybe from racial issues or some misstep that you had in the past that's not necessarily sinful, just some humiliating mistake that you've made, like putting a lot of your money in FTX crypto in the past six months, right? 
Well, if somebody's coming at you like that, consider the source. And the big thing here, and this is another thing we've emphasized in this series, know who you are in Christ. Our identity must be in Jesus and who we are in Him and what He says about us. We're going to make mistakes. And we're going to sin. Not that we want to. And we're to confess that. And sometimes people are just going to put us down because we live in a fallen world. But we have to understand who we are in Christ. That again, and I don't have time to go through that whole armor picture, but the helmet of salvation of knowing, right, that you're safe in Christ. The breastplate of righteousness. I am righteous because of Jesus and what he did for me. And all that beautiful picture of how we are covered by the Lord and all of the virtue that he begins to produce in our lives as we follow him. Know who you are in him and what he says about you and what he's doing in you. And remember verses like Philippians 1.6 that says, He who began a good work in you will carry it forth to the day of completion. Can you say that with me? He who began a good work in you will carry it forth until the day of completion. He's going to finish what he started in you. And so remember that in your life. And so if people are heaping derision upon us or trying to humiliate us in some way because of physical features, because of some misstep, or even perhaps, perhaps from a racial issue, Maybe some of you have experienced that in your life, listening in here online. Remember, race is a social construct. We're all of one blood in creation, right? We just have different amounts of melanin in our skin. But if somebody has tried to wound you down through the years in that way, remember that your identity is that you're covered in the blood of Christ, and we belong to Him. And He's in the process of redeeming us fully. And then... Ask God to grow you in His grace in the face of such opposition and discomfort, even if it's something you don't deserve in any way. Just somebody picks up on something, they want to try to humiliate you. Remember the Lord Jesus' half-brother reminded us of this, and we've referred to this verse a number of times in this series. In James chapter 1, he says in verse 2, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. You know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And so we need to remember that part of life that, um, that suffering can, can bring to us uh, good things uh, from the Lord. I read this just uh, in the past day. You will never know the true measure of your faith unless you suffer. And if avoiding pain is the primary goal of your faith, you will never grow. And so we must take those things in a way of saying, God is sovereign over this, and even if it's something that I don't deserve, somebody's just being um, unsavory toward me, mean toward me in some way, then I must be a person who says, Lord, I know who I am in you. I'm going to trust you to grow me through this, and I'm going to pray for them and for you to forgive them again. And to know that um, as you grow me, this will help me perhaps be more impactful than I ever could have been. And I will know you better because I've suffered these things and learned to lean upon you more fully. 
You know, some of the greatest people in history who produce some of the greatest things, either works of art or writing, have been people that have experienced humiliation, rejection. Just read some of the best-selling authors, best-selling people of, of artwork, some people that were not even recognized in their life for their artwork and they got rejected all the way around. But somehow that was used to make them even greater, the pressure of that. It's pressure that makes a diamond. And so when you suffer this type of humiliation as a believer in Christ, just trust that uh, he's going to make you stronger through it. And so just one example of Louisa May Alcott. She received this rejection once in relationship to a writing. And someone said to her and wrote to her, you should stick to teaching. (laughs) In other words, you can't write. Thankfully, she didn't stick to teaching. And when Little Women was finally published in two volumes in 1868 and 1869, it's remained a classic for over 150 years. So the point is that when people try to humiliate us, we need to take from that and build upon it, help it to make us stronger. Now, sometimes it's constructive criticism. We need to learn to hear that. That's a good thing. But even when somebody's not trying to be constructively critical, but they're trying to humiliate us, we can also rest in God's sovereignty in our lives and let him work good out of that for us as well.